Web Radio, a weekly look at all of the buzz surrounding autonomous vehicles, drones, Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, and while I am an attorney, I am not yours, and this show is not legal advice. Instead, it is the ramblings of a redhead and her guests. And find us each week on americaswebradio.com, on the America's Web Radio app, and find replays of the shows in podcast format on iTunes, Lawyer Liz, Google Play, Stitcher, or any of your other favorite podcast streaming apps. So we've been talking the starting off the last couple of shows with the bust or must. And you can't talk about technology and autonomous vehicles and all of that in the form of a must without hitting the highlights of the phenomenal or phenom that is known as the Fast and Furious franchise because, well, they take automobiles to a whole new level in the latest movie that is setting world box office records. And if we're going to talk about technology movies, who else to discuss it with than Rob Graham, who is... I don't know, expert on many uh, things and actually saw the movie, so that helps. But Rob, CEO of Rat and co-founder of Rata Security, welcome. Hi there. I'll say friend of the show, friend of the show, but... At least right. not enemy. Exactly, exactly. Well, Rob, all right, Fast and Furious 8, would you see it again? Probably not. No? No? It, it, was it too fast, furious, or whatever? It's it's uh, a see-once movie, and if I'm going to see it again, I'm going to see Fast and Furious 9, which will be much the same thing, but the ninth version. But but this is the eighth version, and it's it's cool. It's faster, furiouser. I mean, they they took the God's eye from the last movie and i mean in this case uh you have the rock redirecting a torpedo with his bare hands i mean you do that every week right not but not the rest of us sure online yes ah there you go well what to you were you inspired to go out and buy a new vehicle no no what about your private jet no, I'm not going to upgrade that anytime soon. But now Uber has announced, and we're going to talk about in the second half of the show with the guests, uh, Uber's going to have uh, drone taxis. What about would you have an autonomous jet? Uh, if your Tesla would go vertical, would you go with it? Jets today are, already are. If you've taken a flight on a commercial airline, it's it's basically an autonomous jet that can take off and land autonomously 99% of the time. The, the, the pilots are there for the 1% of the time when it can't. So what you're saying is until they slap a Tesla logo on it, you're not buying one, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, excellent. Well, did, were you inspired? Inspired to hack into anything after watching this latest Fast and the Furious. 
Well, it had a couple. It had a couple of interesting things. Um, the the God's Eye View is is thirty years from in the future, and the way they hacked the cars though was only about ten years into the future. So now, explain a little bit. We've we've joked about God's Eye, and it's similar to or similar concept has been picked up across different genres of stories, be it a centralized way of collecting the data, right? Right. So the, the idea of, uh, in Fast and the Furious is the God's eye is the ability to hack into to every camera, every uh, internet camera around the world. And that's... Um, in some ways, far-fetched. And in other ways, it's very practical. Uh, we saw that in the last last year, there was Mirai Botnet that took over security cameras. And- exactly, as you've explained on this show. I mean, so for those who may have missed your really great explanation or just want some laughs at my expense, I highly recommend tracking down that episode. But for anyone who may have missed, what's the too long to read and short version? Well, internet security cameras tend to be outside the firewall and easy to hack. And so the Mirai Hot the botnet did just that. It's a malware that just spread from one security camera to the next, taking control of them and then using them. Now, what they use them for, the, the hackers, is not to take video, but to just attack people. So if you have uh, 100,000 devices on the internet and you flood one person, you can take people offline, even very big corporations. You can... You can flood them with traffic and then uh, over, overload the internet connections, and that's what they did. So the the lesson to learn here is that taking control of security cameras, many security cameras, is not a hard thing. It's really easy for a hacker to take control of a few hundred thousand security cameras around the internet. So really, we've seen the first gen uh, of this, what will become God's Eye. I suppose so. The problem is, though, is that the ones you take control of are rarely the ones that are useful to you. And so even if you have a few million that you've got in your little, that you've hacked into, the probability that you've got the security camera that can find the one person you're looking for is actually still very, very low. Well, so how does, how do they then use that technology to track the location of an individual or a car? Well, um, in theory, if you have the processing power, you can just use those cameras as license plate readers. Every time a license plate appears on the, uh, in the camera feed that you can recognize that, decode it and find someone's license plate, or identify cars by color and make, or uh, do facial recognition on people so that if their face uh, appears on the screen that you can actually recognize them and be notified of that. The problem is is that that processing power today doesn't exist, that it, it's you can't take live feeds with high enough definition to even do simple recognition with license plate numbers, which is the simplest thing that you could you would have to recognize. We're we're still a couple decades away from actually that amount of processing power existing. Now the the, the good thing if you're a police state or a hacker is is that they will be adding this processing power. Chips that do this sort of thing is a, it's a customizable chip that does this sort of thing uh, specifically, 
um, those chips are being made just in the last couple of years. That's been a new chip type that are being added to all these devices to do automatic recognition within the device. So whereas right now security cameras can only take video but not do any processing on it, today, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the average security camera will also be doing license plate recognition and simple uh, face recognition. So really what you're saying is we're going to see kind of this uh, TV show person of interest where they had Samaritan, kind of this all-knowing AI that was controlling that the cameras were all connected to this, connected to that. So eventually my smart IoT connected device that has a camera really will be spying on me. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. No, so, not, not the way they show, I'm joking, but it's more <laughs> ways than they do now. Oh, oh, good. Oh, good. So you're saying it's a good thing that we have tape over our laptop uh, cameras and all of that? Or uh, should I just go ahead and put on the tinfoil hat? You should just uh, accept the fact that everyone's spying on you all the time. Excellent. Now, what do you do to entertain those who are spying on you? <laughs> no, I, I had the tape. I had the tape over my camera. Well, that is disappointing, Rob. I was expecting the, I mean, even I occasionally like to throw in some random uh, search terms just to throw off Google's al- algorithms. But, you know, looking to you for advice on that, apparently you're not giving away the secrets just yet. Right. If well, I told you, then they would know and they'd be able to find me out. So. I still have to keep it private. Excellent, excellent point. Well, now you've done some testing and talked, spoken about it in the past with the drones and the the cars, and uh, especially with yourself uh, being a new owner. I say new, uh, a little over a year, but with your Tesla and the automated, how did the car? I mean, Fast and Furious are known for the cars. That's what the franchise is built on. Well, how did they get the hacking of cars right? I mean, not without too many spoiler alerts. Well, they um, they didn't get it really right uh, in that <laughs> shocking. Uh, um, that the cars today don't have that self driving features. Only only very few cars have a self driving feature that's adequate for what they showed in the movie to hack to make it even possible to hack. So that's the, most cars will have it in ten years, but today it's very few cars. So that part's wrong. Uh, the ability to arbitrarily grab lots of cars with different uh, manufacturers is also very unrealistic. It would take a lot of preparatory work. It, it every car that you try to hack is a lot of work, and so the arbitrarily reaching out and grabbing all cars all at once is is unrealistic. Being able to grab a, a one model or a couple of models that share the same um, uh, manufacturer is more uh, realistic. So, have manufacturers wisened up, or are they still, you you know, going to the same go-to? I mean, one of the things you had illustrated with your uh, Teslas that some of the firmware was pulling from the 
systems that were available on, I believe it was the DJI Phantom or no, was it the, the Parrot? Uh, the Parrot. The Parrot drone and my car had the same Wi-Fi chips and the same Wi-Fi software. So uh, that's an interesting coincidence. All these cars are built from components built uh, uh, from from resold by the same company. So my parents have a new Subaru that has the same mobile eye um, vendor creating the the image recognition stuff that my car has, for example. So cars today are all built from components from other manufacturers. So it's the other manufacturers that build all the things that we hackers will be hacking into. So if, if there is one vulnerability or one, you know, a soft underbelly spot, uh, a missing scale in one device, you're saying that it's not likely it's going to be able to carry through the systems the same way in each car. Well, it's it's as as light. What I mean is, it's, it's as likely to work uh, through many manufacturers rather than one manufacturer. So one component may be shared by people from Ford and GM, by cars from Ford and GM, um, rather than you're hacking one uh, car manufacturer. You're hacking the component manufacturer, not the car manufacturer. Excellent. Well, we'll have to get back right after this commercial break and find out what you've been hacking based on the movie or what was malarkey. But you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, chatting today with Rob Graham on his movie review of Fast and the Furious. And Rob, welcome back. And I understand you are still recording this show without pants. Is that correct? Yes, of course. Excellent. Because, and not to worry, folks, if you're watching or listening at home, uh, Rob has assured me he has put tape over the camera. So all you get is the mental image of uh, him in his home studio and not the visual image. Unless you've hacked other cameras in his house. Correct, Rob? Correct. Excellent. Well, so we were talking before the break about how it's very unlikely and or at least many, many uh, years away from getting these 
uh, I'd say not drone swarms, but car swarms where hackers can uh, essentially create a botnet uh, car fleet. But in, in the movie, they, they took control of all the cars in the parking lot. And that's difficult because the cars don't have that technology today. Well, but Transformers tells me they do. If they're all Autobots. <laughs> well, yes. Your car is secretly an alien life form. Well, that would make sense. Uh, you know, and explain so many things about my car. But, and now that you've disappointed everyone by you don't have the jumbo jet that Fast and Furious assured us all hackers do, you have explained that you do not redirect torpedoes with your bare hands um, on Mondays, Wednesdays, or Fridays. Tuesdays and Thursdays, perhaps. Perhaps. Well, what about some of the other technology in EMP? What what's that all about? Um. Well, first of all, I want to get back to the cars. <laughs> so there's there's another thing about the cars. One of the thing is the ability to reach into the cars and hack them, um, and where that's going. So more and more today, when you buy a new car, it will be internet enabled all the time. It will be on the internet when you're driving it, probably on the internet when the car is, uh, in theory off, but still battery powered. So that, um, in the future, you know, not today, but in the future, 10 years from now, all the cars in the parking lot will be internet enabled. So that's the thing to think about. The other part from the movie though, of, of making the cars all drive at once, that's still also a, Coming, but still in the future. Most cars today do not have uh, enough auto drive features. Most cars um, have like lane departure warnings. So if you're weaving in the lane, it'll tell you. It'll uh, have alerts that the uh, car in front of you has stopped. It'll have alerts whether someone's like as you're backing up, whether someone's walking across that you might back into. You know, those sorts of things are telling you about things that are happening, but they aren't controlling the car. The, the features that control the car, like um, auto parking or, like in my car, it'll actually drive down the freeway and stay in the lane and, and not crash into the person in front of you, um, requires you actually have the physical features of the car to, to brake, to uh, turn, and to uh, accelerate. So those, those physical, mechanical features don't exist yet in most cars, even though the Internet features increasingly do. Well, and isn't that one of the next phases for the autonomous technology is getting it so that the cars are better communicating with each other without that human interaction? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> so the communications are increasing, but the we, the point, the, 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 what makes that movie um, nonsensical today mostly is the lack that these cars simply don't have the, the mechanical features to actually drive themselves. Um, though they may, may be on the internet and hackable, they can't drive themselves. And uh, that's going to change within very, very few years. Um, most cars will have self-driving features of some sort, the minimal level of like not crash, you know, applying the brakes to prevent you crashing into someone in front of you. They'll have that within, I don't know, five years. So what you're saying is in action movie lore, very few of these will be set in, say, a country like Cuba, which is known for having its retro 
automobile industry without the connected cars. Right. Well, even then, cheap cars are getting these auto drive features. So um, I, I think in, in five years, you'll be able to get a Honda Civic that will have the ability to turn the wheel and apply the brakes and apply the accelerator. Wow, but not the 57 Chevy? Probably not retrofitting for 57 Chevys, no. Well, there you go. In the apocalypse, you want to find the older cars because the EMP Pults will have knocked out everything but those. Right. So the movie has an EMP device, um, and that's actually a fairly practical device, That a, a small EMP, uh, ones that can take out uh, a neighborhood or local stuff. I think their EMP was quite unreasonably large, but still, a local area, it'll, it'll work just fine. Well, and so what did, what's the technology behind what they were using in the movie? Well, I'm not quite sure, because the movie has EMP a little bit wrong. Uh, the way EMP works... Only a little bit? ...is that when EMP goes off, it it will uh, fry, it'll fry the electronics. They won't be coming back. And there, they used the ENP, and like it sort of like disturbed the electronics for a little bit, and then they came back anyway, and they had to use the ENP again, and it it really wasn't very realistic. So, did they get anything right with the technology aspect of the movie, or really no? Well, if you had one of these ENP devices, and you aimed it properly, and you're really close by to someone... Uh, you can actually fry their circuits. You can actually disable a car. And it would fry your phone. It would fry your car. It would fry things local, near, nearby. So really, they're just ahead of their time. Right. Well, in, with it, you know, certain shows really strive for getting the technology side of it accurate. I mean, you have shows like uh, Mr. Robot. That or you know the video game Watchdogs and Watchdogs Two, where they try to have that element of reality, but where where do you see the uh, Fast and Furious uh, going from here? And are they going to just get further away from reality? Well, to be fair. The hacking stuff, um, everything related to hacking in the movie is probably more realistic than what they're doing with the cars. I mean, with the cars, you you, you had, uh, as you said, uh, your buddy, uh, The Rock, redirect a, a, a um, that thing with his hand while driving <laughs> the car. How uh, he called the torpedo. So he, he 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 drives. He's driving his car, and he redirects the torpedo with my butt with his hand. Or they take out a submarine with a car. They take out. They do everything with a car. And um, so all this driving stuff with the cars. You know, uh, uh, the uh, Vin Diesel's character wins a race with the car on fire in reverse. So sure, why not? So all the stuff with the cars is much less realistic than the stuff they do with the hacking. So if, if you're willing to give them suspend uh, disbelief enough for all the car stuff to be plausible, then actually all the hacking stuff is, is certainly plausible. Okay. Well, 
were you inspired by any of the the hacking aspects? You thought, hey, I could try that, or you know, that will solve that problem. Uh, or no, is it more? Did you recognize any of your past research in there? Well, I, I look, look at things like their um, the airplane flying, the, the, the jumbo jet where they have all the computers on the airplane and they're flying above wherever all the time. So the hackers are on the jet all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think how unrealistic that would be. Um, you don't want uh, – hackers don't need the compute power near them. So I can stick – you know, if I'm a world – uh, bad guy, you know, with, you know, uh, controlling a huge hacking network of cyber criminals and whatever, and I'm a, I have my henchmen everywhere. I might want to be on a jet in order to avoid getting arrested or something, but I don't need my computers with me. All I need is my laptop. My computers can be anywhere in the world. Um, hopefully, like, somewhere in, like in the, under, under the tundra in Siberia where they're hard to find or something. But that's where my compute power will be. It won't be near me on the airplane. So as I see sort of these sort of these things of like you know if I want to be an uh, a hacking bad guy, how I would do it and how I find uh, I, I analyze those things and say no 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 I'd make different choices. So excellent. So when we are trying to find your secret layer, you're saying don't look to the air, look to the frozen tundra. Yeah, well tundras have good cooling is the thing. So like you know. Uh, Siberia is a great place because they have lots of underground rivers and stuff that I can use to cool my electronics. And then, of course, they're, they're uh, remote and accessible. So that's a good place. Well, there you go. So you're giving away just a few, a tease of the secrets uh, for Rob's. Right. Well, because, Rob, if I go to your Twitter account, I thought you said you did all of your trolling from under a bridge. Well, that too. Yeah, when I'm trolling, I, I sit under a bridge. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. And so where do you think they're going to go with the next Fast and the Furious? I mean, what, where do you take it from here? I, I think, uh, I don't know. They, 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 I think cars taking out airplanes in the air, but that's been done. Um, it wasn't Fast and the Furious, but it was the... Uh, Another recent movie with Vin Diesel, uh, they, they, he, he, uh, took out a satellite. Well, the satellite was crashing to Earth, so I guess, you know, that, that's more plausible with a car. But, um, I suppose taking a car into orbit would be the next, the next phase. Well, I guess, you know, was it 2001 Space Odyssey, a 21 and 1 Fast and Furious Odyssey. Well, I mean, and when you've got SpaceX and everyone having successful uh, launches and rockets, it's they could hijack that, right? Yeah, Vin Diesel in space, yeah, driving on the moon. On the moon, he's going to drive a, a doom buggy on the moon and destroy something. Ooh, Mars, yes, or I Mars. see it. Now, Rob, what else? I mean, because you always, you don't sit still very well. What are some of your next projects that folks should be on the lookout for? Uh, I I have nothing really at the the current point. I'm sorry. I have no good story. Are you taking a break from the uh, conference circuit? Well, I I just scanned the Internet for these um, uh, NSA leaked hacks. 
and they found 41,000 machines that were hacked by using the NSA hacks. But they're probably not by the NSA, but by script kiddies who grabbed the, the released NSA hacks and then used them on the Internet, and those are the ones who I'm finding, not the NSA people. Of course, because those are, you know, the NSA folks are going to be a little bit, hopefully, harder to find. But, uh, well, thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, and we get back uh, from this next commercial break. We're going to talk about autonomous cars and all the fun when they go vertical. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. So we've been talking at the first half of the show on technology and automated vehicles and hacking when it comes to cars. But if you're not in the mood to get stuck in traffic and not... uh willing to defy the laws of physics and reality as they did in the latest Fast and the Furious, then you're going to be stuck in traffic. But not to fear because technology and drones are going to solve that problem for us and perhaps sooner rather than later. So we're welcoming to the show Dave Bernard and I'll say longtime friend of Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, co-founder and CEO for the Intellection Group and is his Various bios have best described it. He fixes broken installed technology projects, but with a particular expertise on the latest innovations when it comes to autonomous vehicles and software. So, Dave, welcome to the show. Oh, glad to be here, Liz. I love uh, I love talking about this stuff, um, and it's actually a real apropos topic here in Atlanta. No kidding. I mean, I'm waiting for the locust to descend upon some interstate or side road at this point. But uh, according to Dubai, they're gonna they have a solution for us. They've got drone taxis coming as early as July of this year. Fact or fiction? Yeah, this um, this thing. It's a Chinese made. Um uh, device. Uh, it was debuted at the CES show in 2016. Um, and, you know, before we talk about that, you know, actually, I've been kind of following this trend for a little while now. And the first time I saw some of these actually kind of hit the airwaves was in 2015. 
And it was actually a guy in Canada who had um, built a kind of a hoverboard sort of controlled thing that he could stand on, and he flew it over a lake just in case things went south. But there's some YouTube video of this guy. And then you had also a, uh, a guy in Florida who actually did use a hoverboard to control his. It's quite spectacular, uh, if you can find that out there as well. He can move and turn on a dime. Uh, and he's untethered, completely untethered. Uh, there's been there's another Canadian built one called a Hendo drone that, you know, I think it, it set the original record of 900 feet uh, and 15 feet up. This was back in 2015. But now we're talking about a lot more new stuff. Uh, and in Dubai, as you as you mentioned, we're talking about a pilotless uh, drone that's basically it's uh, it's six propellers on three uh, mounts, um, and it can carry up to about 255 pound load, weighs about 440 pounds. Um, and it can fly up to 11,000 feet. Uh, it has about a 31-mile range. It can go about 60 miles an hour. And it's linked to a ground-based control center. It's very, very interesting. And Dubai is kind of the leader in this because they've been in the leader of a lot of things. Uh, you know, from an infrastructure standpoint, everybody knows uh, the Burj, the tallest building in the world is there. They've already invested quite a bit of money in Elon Musk's Hyperloop system that they're going to install there. They're very much in the forefront of encouraging autonomous vehicles on the roads there. So actually, this is kind of a very natural extension of their desire to be different, you know, to be attract very high-end premium type businesses and visitors to their country. So it's not a terribly large surprise that it would happen in Dubai. What's kind of a surprise is how fast it's coming because they're pretty serious they're in the middle of testing right now. If the testing works out well, and by all accounts it seems to be going well, that they'll be able to launch this as a true taxi service in July in Dubai, which is kind of interesting. Huh? <laughs> well, and especially considering with the 255-pound weight limit, I mean, that's up to, so that's passenger and any of their cargo. So if I'm traveling with a suitcase, a briefcase, you know, anything like that, because you're going to have to be aware of kind of the limits and there's no, there's no fudging the numbers. I mean, if you can't lift off, you can't lift off. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And I think, you know, again, just look at this as a first step. Um, I think that you're going to see, you know, obviously we've gone in two years from being able to go 15 feet up to going 11,000 feet. And uh, there's some other things on the horizon that are coming that are even more interesting, I think, than even this one. Um, and I think, again, I would look at this as just a first test. You, you know, it's like, like electric vehicles, the battery capability is your big limiting factor. You know, b- batteries are also very heavy. So a lot of that 440 pounds is un- undoubtedly the battery. Um, well, in, and- in desert conditions, too, how's that going to work? Because I, th- I think of in Dubai, you had the sandstorms that roll in. I mean, if you've automated the process, you've typed in your you know, arrival destination, how are they going to accommodate for, well, weather conditions just changed. Yes. Is that part of the testing, or are they still in a controlled environment? You know, I'm not. I haven't heard about the weather side of it, but I do know they have some fail safes where the the device, if it gets into any amount of trouble, 
will immediately go down to the ground, hopefully in a controlled manner. It is linked to a ground-based control center. So it's remotely controlled. So it's not under the it's not under the control of the passenger at all. Um, so that's I think that's a good first step for them. So it's more like the way the military flies drones. We have a pilot in front of a computer monitor actually flying the thing remotely. Uh, so that aspect of it is pretty well proven. Uh, you know, I think what you're really talking about that's an unknown is the reliability of the craft for consumer grade service. Uh, right, so I think that's what is going to have to be tested. But I think there's going to be plenty of people who are going to sign up for it uh, to do it. So uh, it's going to be watched very closely. It's, it'll be, you know, people will be watching it more for than just for the technology. But what's the business model like? Does that work? You know, what are some of the infrastructure requirements? Uh, is it safe? Um, do are people flocking to it? Does it really save time? All those kinds of things. Uh, and well, they're going to learn some things, too, while they do it. Well, absolutely. I mean, just as Tesla has learned, you know, very publicly with some of their autonomous vehicle rollouts, because Uber announced their... I, are they using... No, Uber announced that they'll have... They anticipate having the similar aircraft uh, in play by 2020, in both Dubai and Dallas. Now, are they? Do you know if they're using the same aircraft? No. By the, the looks of what I see, and this is what's kind of interesting about that, this whole genre. Now, we're seeing several different approaches. Uber's got an approach. The Chinese have an approach in Dubai, and then we have Larry Page of Google, who's funding an effort called Kitty Hawk, which is another different approach. So you really have, uh, really in general, I think you have four different approaches. You have this kind of homebrew, hoverboard-driven, you just kind of stand on the top approach. And there's there's actually a, more than a handful of people and companies making those right now. Then you have the Dubai approach, kind of a single passenger, kind of a just a grown-up drone that kind of carries a person in closed capsule. But Uber is is going to be doing something a little bit different based on the drawings that I saw. It looks to be a lot more helicopterish. If you uh, get my drift there, I think, and this it, it it puts some thoughts in my mind about some of this, some of the economics of it. Uber's gonna they're gonna have to be able to take more than one passenger at a time. I mean, so I think they're gonna leave ahead, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because they actually are targeting startup costs, actually starting costs based on about a buck and a half a mile. Uh, and they hope to drive those costs down to about the equivalent of the variable cost of long-term car ownership. And they're also shooting for like 200,000 trips a day uh, in the two cities. Um, when they'll reach that, it's anybody's guess. But the economics of that demand, you know, a platform that's a more reliable, more, you know, battle-tested, a little bit tougher, um, and it's going to require an ecosystem around it that's going to, force it to, to work a lot more efficiently. So I think their approach is probably going to be a little more heavy-duty. It's an, probably another step up in weight and distance capabilities um, than what you're going to be seeing in Dubai with the, um, the Chinese-made device. So I'm really looking at that carefully because it really is kind of a shot across the bow to helicopter services in a lot of ways. Because well, heli- Uber played around, Uber did play around with the helicopter on-demand service and just didn't have the volume 
the you know regular manned aircraft of they've said well we when we've rolled it out we've sold out so to speak but they just couldn't make it viable from a cost perspective how do, how are they going to change the model is it going to be volume or just ultimate i mean obviously the fuel costs won't be there for unmanned first manned helicopters but how do you see them tweaking that model I think it's because they're starting from scratch. Um, you know, basically, helicopters are, they're not electric, for example. They're heavy, they're noisy, they're inefficient. Um, and I think you've got to go back to the drawing board and start over. And I think that's what Uber is really doing. They're going to have to kind of reinvent the helicopter as more like a flying car. If you look at what Tesla's done with autonomous cars and completely reinvented the car uh, from scratch, I think Uber's taking a page out of that playbook and saying, well, we can do that with helicopters, quote-unquote. We'll call them, you know, drone taxis or whatever you want to call them, but that's what they are. They're really a helicopter replacement, in my opinion. Um, you know, that's that's another one of these things. And then you have what Larry Page is doing with Kitty Hawk, which is a yet another approach. It's more like ultralight meets drone meets jet ski. This thing's got two pontoons mounted under it, and you kind of ride it like a motorcycle. Uh, you know, it's another different approach. Uh, it looks like it may be more for amusement, you know, an airborne jet ski than it is for anything else. Uh, you know, so I'm keeping my eye on that, too, because maybe, you know, I think all these different platforms are attempting to find that sweet spot of cost and, uh, you know, efficiency and things like that. What is the return on investment that we can do and at scale? And, you know, people like Larry Page, they know how to do things at scale. So does Uber. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. I think you need to watch all of them and to see what's going to happen. I don't think anyone's really necessarily out front just yet. So no one has established, as opposed to DJI, that really you know, got itself to the forefront of the drone market and now the latest numbers uh, for at least for public entities owning and operating drones, almost 80% are DJI Inspires and DJI Phantom models in various uh, numbers. I agree. And this could be a shot across the bow of DJI. You know, if you can build one that's that heavy duty, you could also go down market and build less expensive ones that are just, you know, pilotless and personless, for example. So I, if I were them, I'd keep an eye on this, too. <laughs> well, I, absolutely. I mean, and certainly Uber's been taking a hit in the public arena for other stuff. But, you know, whether we want to be in a cheaper, more, you know, a, Model is a whole nother story that we will have to pick up, and that'll be the tease. We get back from the commercial break. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. 
Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Catch us each Wednesday from 2 to 3 Eastern on AmericasWebRadio.com or the app. Or find us on iTunes, Lawyer Liz, Google Play, Stitcher, any of your podcast listening devices or apps. And talking today with Dave Bernard, who is really has his finger on the pulse of technology and innovation, as, as his bio says, he fixes this. And looking at Uber and all the other companies that are coming out with the driverless uh, the flying taxi. So we've established, Dave, that the race is on, that we're in the testing phases, phases, but who's going to use us? Who is going to be, who are going to be the first folks to jump in the 455 pound flying taxi? I tell you, that's going to be, I want to be there and see their pictures too and see who it is myself. But, you know, there's been no shortage of people you know, spending a lot of money on, on Tesla's high-end electric vehicles. And, uh, you know, there's people have been for years signing up for these uh, space trips, right, that various people have promulgated over the years. And I'm sure Jeff Bezos has a waiting list, and, uh, and, the, and the folks at uh, Virgin Galactic do too, of people who ponied up hundreds of thousands of dollars to go on those trips. I think there's going to be, there's a number of early adopters you'll be able to take advantage in a, it just so happens a whole bunch of those kind of people live or go through Dubai. So actually, it's a really good place for that to happen. Maybe the next best place for it to happen would be in Silicon Valley itself. Well, then you know? why why do you think they chose Dallas uh, for that? I mean, I don't. It, Uber's had some issues with Austin and some other Texas cities where they haven't been as open to that innovation model. So it seems kind of fascinating that in the announcement uh, recently that Dallas is the other testing site. Yeah, I can only guess uh, about Dallas. Uh, one, it's centrally located in the U.S. Two, it's relatively flat, so you don't have to deal with a lot of geographic or geo, you know, terrain issues potentially. So it may be very much simpler to deal with. And quite frankly, they may have some partners in place already there in the government that are encouraging them to do that. I actually don't know. I didn't. I haven't seen any literature on why they chose that in particular. Uh, it could be a funding issue. You know, I did want to say one other thing about the Uber side of this that's different is that it looks for sure that when Uber puts this out, it's going to be piloted uh, drones. That unlike the Chinese effort in Dubai, which is going to be remote controlled, 
the Uber adventure looks like it will have a pilot, much less, much like the cars do on the ground, uh, at least to start with. So that may be their way of saying it's even safer. You know, it may be more attractive uh, to folks, and it may be a regulatory requirement they know is coming. That's another possibility. Well, true. I mean, the lawyers and the insurers, we do tend to ruin everything for people. Uh, <laughs> Uh, suck the fun out of the, hey, hold my beer, watch this. Um, but one of the things that Uber was pointing out is that they can cut down some of the travel times and that, uh, the example that I've seen was mapping where what would ordinarily be a two-hour drive in San Francisco, they can cut down to 15 minutes by going vertically rather than on the ground. And there's some folks, certainly in Atlanta, with our now infamous interstate collapse, and then we had another interstate uh, recently that buckled and became impassable. It... What, where do you see that, these kind of transportation alternatives playing into the mix as well? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I think that there's a couple of points I would make there. One is that Uber has great data on all these trips that they've been doing. In fact, they just put, I, I believe the number was 2 billion discrete trips, data on 2 billion discrete trips out in the public domain for cities to use in traffic planning. So they know where those you know, awful corridors are because they drive them all the time. So they can actually probably be very, very good at targeting the exact corridors that need the most help. So I'd say, you know, that's probably a very good idea. And actually that fits into a larger idea, and that is that, you know, transportation is really multimodal. When you think about it, if you, if you drive it down to, in a lot of cities, People might drive, they walk to their car, they drive their car to maybe a rail station, they take the train into the city and walk to their office, or maybe take a taxi or something like that in the larger cities. So really, transportation is made up of multiple segments and, and modes. And all we're doing here is adding another another mode of transportation. So I don't see this as being any kind of zero-sum game where it's going to replace some other kinds of mode that we have, it's going to be additive. Just like you're saying in Dallas, they're going to be able to better serve certain corridors, which are much better service that people will pay a premium price for. Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, as we've seen, in, if you don't make those arrangements and those plans, that just with anything, you want to have some redundancies because when you're in, when a major interstate collapses you had people scrambling because our rail system in Atlanta doesn't serve is it ready to jump in and serve the needs in its current condition right. but it's certainly not an issue that Atlanta has cornered the market on i mean our infrastructure needs across the country do you see this causing a push because our car, just with autonomous vehicles, our roads aren't ready for the technology to be fully implemented now. We don't have the right striping, sensors, etc. Do you see there being a diversion of funding to accommodate these multifaceted transportation solutions? You know, what's interesting about the flying car is that you could probably, or the drone, whatever we want to call it, flying car is good, um, is is that it actually shouldn't require lots of extra infrastructure. 
when you think about it. Because when you need a place to take off and you need a place to land. And you need some kind of clear corridor to fly through. Um, my guess is that those will be probably the biggest issues. I actually think they'll probably solve the safety issue without much difficulty. Um, they'll probably err on the side of great uh, caution in that way, monitoring the weather and what have you. But, you know, it's, it's, more, it's more akin in the, carry, in the telecom business to putting up cell towers versus running lots of copper. Um, you know, I think that from an infrastructure standpoint, the cost should be fairly low. Now, what I did see was that in Dubai, they're going to be running all this off 4G networks. Um, that'll have to be upgraded to 5G at some point when, because of just congestion. You'll just have too much data moving around for 4G networks to handle. And we're, we're already seeing that uh, as a requirement for the autonomous car side. So I think that's got to happen um, to, to maintain network performance, you know, because I think a lot of these are going to have to be remote controlled as well. Even though Uber's going at the piloted stage, I think that's kind of a a, a, more of a, a, a gap filler to maintain at least a semblance of safety by having a piloted vehicle. Um, so that I, I think from that standpoint, it to me it seems very doable. Now the challenges are going to be, you know, noise. Let's say uh, range of the battery and recharging rate of that battery. You know, how many how how fast you recharge that battery to put that vehicle back in service again. Uh, regulatory, we talked about before, congestion control. Uh, what kind of height restrictions are you going to have in various places? Um, I think you also have to think about, we've talked about safety a little bit, but you have to think about crime as well. You know, are these devices that can be hijacked and and nefarious things done with them? Uh, I think, you know, they'll have, there's some going to have to be some thinking with that. So I actually think that's probably why you're going to see it done in another country first. Uh, rather than here, uh, especially when we already have a track record from the FAA on how they're regulating drones uh, as it is now. So they've well, been- I, just, I was going to say, I, I also don't see them as the ready solution yet for things like carpool. I mean, if you look at where the height of rush hour is, I don't think we're ready for the Jetsons just yet. Yeah, I would agree with you because you need more. You need more landing places, right? If you're going to do that carpool, you're kind of going to bounce around picking up people. And this, to me, is really more of a point-to-point solution. Um, you know, making that 20-mile leap at once to save you a whole bunch of time, more like what a train does for you or a subway. Um, but even even possibly better, it can leap. It'll leap longer distances because you're going to want a premium price for this thing. And I think it'll be years before you have any kind of you know um, multi-point kind of travel on this sort of thing. But I do think there's a lot of other kinds of uses potentially for this as well. Once it gets going, you know, I could see a whole amusement uh, side of this. Maybe that's what Larry Page is after. With his, you have rides and, and things like that. Also, see, you know, if you if you bring Amazon into the picture, they want to use drones for delivery, right? If I've got a 255 pound payload, even on my earliest models here, I can deliver stuff. Um, so that's kind Absolutely. of interesting as well. From a logistics standpoint, it could be transformational for the industry, but then you have to look at too what happens. 
it's already frustrating watching, tracking your packages almost in real time of, oh, now it's here. Oh, now it's there. (laughs) How does that go with drone delivery? Well, if they're remotely controlled, then you know where they are. Um, You know, and I think that's, to to me, I think that's really kind of a... um, an academic problem for Amazon to solve. It's a customer service problem more than anything. And I think they will solve it. Again, they're trying to speed up the delivery process. And this could help do that because what, what we're doing with flying cars is speeding up the person delivery process, right? Um, another thing I was thinking about was um, ma- maintaining hard-to-reach places. Think like a, a bucket truck replacement. You know, if you've got to lift somebody up or or maybe search and rescue operation, getting into a difficult part of the woods to find somebody. This could be a very interesting type of device to do that with. Uh, Oh, absolutely, on the first responder side. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And one other one I'll tell you about that I know will probably get used is I already have a a cousin who's a a yacht captain in the Gulf, and he's a, a longtime fisherman. And they actually do... They actually drop bait on schools of tuna with drones now. And I was thinking, boy, you could put a person on one of these drones and just send them up there and they could fish off of it. Uh, as tuna gets spooked by fishing boats getting too close, the school comes away. That's why they put something up above it. Uh, so I thought that could be another interesting one. And a whole bunch of my uh, friends and relatives in Louisiana would probably go get one. Oh, absolutely. If that can get rid of the seasick aspect of deep sea fishing, for me, I, I'm in. Well, Dave, hopefully you will get to, if not, ride in one, see one. But where can people find out some more information on your work? Well, uh, best place to go is our website, uh, intellectiongroup.com. We are around on Facebook as well. And I have a personal Facebook site, um, uh, at you can search for me, Dave Bernard, real easily. And also, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I love uh, getting connection requests, and uh, I'd love to have a conversation with anybody that way. Well, excellent. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you to America's Web Radio for hosting us. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. Find me on Twitter and catch Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz next time on America's Web Radio.